ask you to come and join me. Great. into this. Uh, Blair Childs from Premier is joining us today. Blair acts as a conduit between Premier's 4,000 hospitals and healthcare uh, participants and policymakers in D.C. He's had a leading role on issues impacting med devices, pharmaceuticals, insurance, and obviously hospitals given Premier's uh, focus. Uh, what I would say is that his role expands beyond policy, and what I always enjoy about hearing Blair speak is that he's played an active role in building the collaboratives program at Premier, and so he definitely has his feet on the ground, uh, maybe a little bit more so than uh, some of the policy folks we get to interact with on a regular basis. So, so with that, I've asked Blair to come in and give us a bit of the D.C. perspective as we sit today, and certainly this administration has made for uh, interesting times in healthcare. So, so Blair, yeah. thank you very uh, much. Thanks, Eric. Uh, so, Mark, great presentation. It was fascinating for me to hear that because the problems are the same and the conversations are so similar. When I think about what we're trying to solve at Premier and what you're trying to solve, it's just the thing that's interesting is um, – you know, so common problems and really who organizes the care. And I think you identified correctly that the fragmentation in our healthcare system is probably, and the waste that comes with that is our biggest challenge. So, how we get these different um, players to work together in a different way is the hugest, is the biggest challenge that we have, I'd say, overall. Um, and it, what I find fascinating is how varied our country is. When I go around the country and I look at all these different communities, some have very well-organized health systems really driving the system in that community, and they're very organized. And they actually manage the patient population very well, have very good outcomes and very low costs. And then you have other places where it's highly fragmented and disorganized and a lot of waste and a lot of volume. The variation in cost just at looking at Medicare alone is enormous. I mean, we're talking $8,000 to $20,000 per capita spending. So it's, it's, a, it's just amazing. Our job as an organization is how do we organize health systems and avoid some of that waste. So we use data. We have more data, more hospital data, outpatient data than virtually anybody. And there's been an absence of, the, of that data in healthcare heretofore. It's been very siloed and it's a big challenge for healthcare providers, but we use the data. We then use the practices that are being uh, used across the health systems to help share and identify the most effective ones. And then we have the people who really uh, work uh, hand in glove with folks to deliver the results. And that's what our, our uh, team does overall. So very aligned with healthcare providers, principally owned by healthcare providers, although we're moving towards a more publicly traded model overall. Um, so what I'd like to do, and I don't know why this isn't working. So, and, and I was just going to say, so Eric mentioned our collaboratives. This is the best illustration of how we do what we do, whether it's a hospital and improving the performance of hospitals in terms of cost and quality. We perform, our members perform better than everybody else on value-based purchasing and on reducing costs and, and so forth. We measure them against everybody else. So we are able to show real results 
bundle payment, which is the uh, episode approach to care delivery. Um, we perform 35% better than all the other bundle payment participants, 35% to 100% better than all the others. And then there's, you've heard about ACOs and these new models, and I'll talk more about this in a few minutes. Our ACO collaborative performs twice as well as all the other ACOs in the country. We had 6% of them participating of the almost 600 ACOs, and we generated uh, 20% of the savings for the country. So that's just the way we work and the results that we deliver using data, using the people that we wrap around uh, the data, as well as uh, bringing people together and identifying the best uh, care delivery or best uh, processes that can uh, work across those di different organizations. So there's this administration. I, we've all been hearing about how this administration is deregulating, moving, moving away from government control and so forth. It's actually in healthcare the opposite. We have more things going on in healthcare than you can imagine. It's really pretty overwhelming. Here are the four priorities. The issue was that we basically lost a year and a half virtually under the Tom Price regime and the new administration and so forth. But things are really gearing up very aggressively right now. These are the four priorities by the secretary. From the vantage point of healthcare providers, these are the big drivers. These are the things that they're very focused on. So payment reduction, whether it's from private payers or public payers, there's just a reality. And that's just out there and, and persistent. And, and of course, uh, the pharmaceutical industry and the pharmaceutical cost is a big factor. People, there is a huge focus by this administration to push risk to away from public payers to private entities, whether they're insurers or whether they're healthcare providers. Somebody's going to take risk, and that's the focus of, the, of this administration. Insurance coverage stability, repeal and replace is over. I don't think it's coming back. So that's a reality in the environment overall. It's probably much clearer overall than it was certainly a year ago. Physicians and how physicians are being organized in different communities, this varies again by different communities. Some have very aligned physician networks to health systems, others don't. So there's a lot of variation in terms of how physicians are behaving and being organized across the country. Uh, big focus by this administration on getting data to consumers. And uh, this is uh, through, you've probably been reading about it, but the FIRE applications, this is a standardized way of getting data. Their focus by this administration is getting data, cost and quality data to consumers, a lot going on in that space. And then uh, from the vantage point of providers, so that obviously is potentially disruptive, from the vantage point of providers, it means that uh, you've got to get all of this data and start making sense of it. That's what we do with our members is pull this data together and make it more usable, which has been a challenge. So this is just describing what's happening in the marketplace in terms of changes in Medicare, which is driving the overall model. There was a discussion early on in this administration that we weren't going to keep moving forward on some of these different models uh, that we've seen under the uh, ACA, I think it's unquestionably moving forward. And the focus is, again, on pushing risk, two-sided risk on healthcare providers. So this is the traditional model um, under Medicare. The providers were, everybody was in a silo. The silos competed with one, with one another for all practical purposes. 
And uh, the incentive was to get the patient in your silo, do services on the patient in your silo, and don't think outside of your silo. That's the way it worked. It's created the fragmentation that Mark was referring to earlier. That's a lot of what's uh, created the inefficiencies in the healthcare system. So the way the administration back in the ACA was trying to solve this, it actually began under the Bush administration, was what we call track one, which is to take a portion of your fee-for-service revenue and put it at risk based on quality and outcomes measures. The measures all will align across those silos. So everybody's being measured on readmissions. It's moving this direction on complications and on efficiency. And that drives providers to start thinking outside of their silos. Or providers can move to an alternative payment model. And that's what's changing because the focus is going to be on risk. And if you move to an alternative payment model, your incentive is to manage care across the silos. So it's getting out of those siloed mentalities, uncoordinated, a wasteful care to a more aligned model where a provider is taking accountability for that. So, and if you do that, you get relief from all of the crazy rules that exist under fee-for-service, which micromanage providers currently. So this continues absolutely forward. In fact, this administration is very focused on stark anti-kickback reform, which you may have heard about, that is trying to relieve a lot of the regulatory burdens that limit providers from collaborating uh, across these models. If you go to your alternate payment model, you also get a 5% macro bonus, which you may have also heard of. There's a lot of incentives in this system to move out of the old fee-for-service silos to this coordinated care model. So the realities of track one is you've got to do more procedures and you're going to get paid less for each procedure. This is how much is it at risk. The measures are all both saving Medicare money as well as improving quality because if you reduce readmissions and reduce complications, you're going to save money. It takes two years to get paid, so it's very uh, difficult to get everybody thinking in an aligned way, but it's starting to happen. It's all micromanaging you to population health because you're taking uh, accountability for a period of time. Transparency, there's uh, transparency on measures and costs that's occurring. Um, The losers lose money and pay the winners. So if you perform less well in track one, the money goes to the better performers. You don't get to keep the savings that you you deliver because you will deliver savings by reducing readmissions and complications and becoming more efficient, and the payers are aligning. So the accountability and risk issue that's going on right now, this is the reality in the environment. These models are continuing from the ACA. They actually started, under the, again, under the Bush administration. They're going to keep moving forward. They're driving integration across care providers. You'll hear this from other providers. Uh, the question really becomes, how do you interact with like a CVS? And it depends on the community. And that's, that's a conversation our members are having. But they need to be able to make sense of their data as they think about taking risk so they can figure out how they're going to perform when they're managing a population either for an episode or for the entire cost of care across 
uh, all those silos. So uh, the implications of this are if you're going to take risk, you've either got to disrupt or you're going to be disrupted. Uh, it's just there's much more uh, at stake, obviously. Uh, you've got to have claims, clinical data. You've got to be able to put the data together, and then you've got to be able to uh, engage uh, the consumer. So same kind of things Mark was talking about, although he had a sliver of it. The, the health systems are thinking much more broadly about how do they manage, particularly either if they've got the primary care side of it, they will include that, or it could be more focused on acute episodes. Um, and then this is very difficult, where it's just taking a long time to make it happen. Some question that came up earlier is, we feel like we've been talking about this for a long time. Yes, we have been talking about this for a long time. This is really challenging. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. Um, so what we're seeing going on in the marketplace, this is my summary of sort of what's happening overall. Um, you're going to larger regional markets from these single markets. Uh, it's very focused on highly reliable care. Uh, and how do you get the waste out and the inefficiencies out? They are looking to us to help them, our healthcare provider systems, to do this better. Major focus area. Whoops. Uh, narrower networks, thinking about the total cost of care as opposed to thinking inside of, a, of an episode, or not an episode, a slice, one silo. Instead of a site of care, you're thinking about uh, the total cost of care for a population. Very different mindset. Um, patient-centric versus provider-centric, measured and transparent, uh, use of data analytics, personalized medicine, Technology-enabled episodes or uh, visualization, episode care, again, versus single-serve, and uh, much more focus from the physician side, although that's still very important to much more teamwork in your community. So uh, that's sort of the overview of what's happening from a policy vantage point. I can dig into a lot of details, but you, I think, can see we're serving these health systems who are in different states of change in different communities based on how they're organized, and, uh, but they need common uh, tools and services, and that's what we provide. So thank you. Very good. Yeah. All right, so I think that sets a great baseline for the discussion, and I want to get into some of what you're hearing as you go out and speak with health systems. But first, let's talk about what's going on in D.C., and I think you're, we'll probably quote you on the fact that we had 18 months where there really was distraction around price. There wasn't a lot of movement forward. But as of late, we've heard a lot of uh, indicators from CMMI that there are new proposals on the way. And so my gut feeling was that the next six months might be really uh, much more active, and we may see, we may see you know, announcements that have to do with the way the patient is engaging, with the type of risk that... Uh, is embraced. Um, walk us through some of what seems to be percolating from CMMI. Yeah, so uh, how many people have heard about the ACO, the new ACO rule that's come out? Has anybody ever heard about Heard about A few of you have. So uh, that's, uh, they've come out with a new proposal for accountable care organizations. Okay, so again, this is the ACA, ACA model that where a healthcare provider system is taking accountability for care across all the silos that I showed you. You remember that? Um, so the model, it's interesting. 
So they actually are making a number of changes to the ACO model that are advantageous for this model and for providers in terms of the way risk is done, in terms of your ability to engage patients. So a number of the tools that we've been asking for uh, for providers to use to help succeed in these models as they take risk, they're, they're addressing in one way, shape, or form. They're not as far as we'd like them to go, but they are definitely a step in the right direction. They are, though, saying that you've got to move out of the no-risk, one-sided risk track to two-sided risks within two years. So the way it's been going is you could stay in a one-sided risk track, meaning you don't have to worry about if you, if you cost more over the contract period, a year at a time, if you cost more for managing that population, you don't have to pay Medicare back. That's what I mean by a no-risk track, Okay. So you could stay in that for six years. They're going to take that down to two years. They want to move organizations faster to risk, which means organizations that get in are going to be a lot more focused on transforming their care delivery process. So the question really becomes for health systems, and the the proof will be in the pudding, my view is that everyone's realizing that this is a different environment. They need to organize care differently, and they're, uh, they're going to and I have to step up um, much more so because they see a lot of other organizations taking risk and doing well in that environment. And that's, again, why I think you're seeing a lot of this consolidation going on just to gain scale and be able to manage that risk better. Hope that, does that make sense? Yeah, so I, I mean, broadly across the regulatory front, do you feel that there are, if we see action there, and I think there's also a desire to see some of the rules that prevented, like the Stark Law, that prevented some of what you'd like to move forward on, is that a catalyst for more action? And getting back to, the, we've been talking about it a long time. Do you see an acceleration? Yeah, I, I mean, the thing that we'll we'll have to see how the market reacts. Uh, there are so many forces at play here. Um, so the the focus at getting data to consumers is a major. Uh, uh, ingredient and I think is going to help drive providers to have to uh, move to more risk because they're, they're going to see consumers going elsewhere, be it CVS or someplace else. And so they're, they're having to figure out how do they redesign care, take over. They want to all grow just like everybody else uh, in our country it wants to grow their, their business. Um, and how are they going to compete if, there, if there's all these forces moving towards folks taking risk, access to data, uh, bringing down costs and sites of care. So how do you expand your footprint to take, uh, to take in more revenue, essentially? So I would say, uh, yes, this is going to accelerate, I think, what's going on in the market already. It sort of took a pause. I think we're going to see folks pick it up. And then on the, I was just going to jump to the legislative side, and then we'll come back to questions. But you, you, know, you mentioned that this began under the Bush administration, this push toward value, and it's got long, long history before that. It seems like there is bipartisan support for value-based reimbursement, value-based care. Um, do you see this as getting 
uh, do you see real points of action post midterms, or do you think we're wrapped into the you know, nothing occurs moving forward? And I heard you—I don't know that I've heard you say before that repeal and replace is uh, no longer a repeal part and of the replace discussion. as an insurance coverage issue. I think is dead. Yeah. Um, we are going to so Congress is going to be less effective over the next two years. Because no matter what happens, either it's divided government or it's a small majority in the Congress. Small majority means you can't really get much done. So very little is going to happen congressionally. We're going to be in the middle of a presidential race that's going to be high, uh, you know, high drama at all times. Sure. And, um, but what that means is it's all regulatory. Yeah. And everything I've been talking about here is regulatory. The power is in HHS and, is, and the ability to use these innovative models. They are going to do as much as they possibly can from a regulatory vantage point to move this forward. There is an incredible focus at man, getting risk, again, off of the public, off of public payers, so that's either Medicare or Medicaid, to either providers or insurance companies. That is a major focus. So Medicare Advantage plans, manage, uh, managed care, uh, Medicaid managed care. And uh, they don't care who takes the risk. They just want the risk off of the public payers. And uh, it, this is something that the administration can act on. And if there's one thing everybody in this room should be acutely aware of, this president loves executive authority and power, and they're going to use as much executive power as they possibly can. So I think there was a question in the room. Or yeah. Josh, we'll start with you then. Yeah, it's interesting. You think uh, just on Medicare Advantage specifically, um, it sounds like you believe that you know, the administration and, um, and I guess uh, HHS and CMS are all pushing more towards privatization. Do you think they take a more dramatic Effect other than, you know, you mentioned the better rates and things like that. Do you think they talk about premium support one day, you know, maybe after the midterms, but something a little bit more dramatic to really change the, you know, reflect the Medicare Advantage penetration rate? Uh, there's, there, I think everyone's probably aware of this, but there's a lot of things that have been done. I can go through a whole list of them that have been done to make Medicare Advantage more competitive and advantageous in the market overall. That's why a lot of our Health systems are moving to either partner with an MA plan uh, in some way, be it Aetna or others. A lot of our health systems are partnering with Aetna, uh, as one example. But there's a lot of a lot of payers that they're doing that with, uh, or they're starting their own MA plans, depending on their scope and their their capabilities. There's risks in that, as you can imagine. This is why we are incredibly busy with the demand from our members to help them get their arms around this because they see these realities coming. Um, uh, so I, I would say MA is, is well positioned. They're trying to make Medicare itself, traditional Medicare in these, these models I just talked about, that's all traditional Medicare. Um, I initially thought they didn't want to address that and just push everything to MA. I'm now seeing a very different approach. Um, and, I, and I would just add, I, I, we talked, I talk to the folks at HHS all the time. 
uh, be they, you know, uh, Adam Bowler or, or Alex Azar, or, uh, Eric Hargan, the people who are really making the decisions. Um, so uh, so there's, a, there's definitely a view that we need to address this aggressively across the board, not just relying on MA. Is there another question? Yeah. Um, I was at the National Association of ACOs conference last week in Adams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree with your assessment of everything that they're pushing for. Um, he's, there was a suggestion that uh, if essentially if you're staying in no downside risk models for, and, and you're not willing to move towards risk, that you should just get out of the value-based mm-hmm. programs um, and that there would be, a, an, um, an exact quote was, other people to fill the seats um, to take care of Medicare, Medicare beneficiaries, to which I asked you must be talking to different providers than the, one I'm, the ones I'm talking to, because it seems like most providers, even though the ACO movement has grown, still a minority of Medicare beneficiaries are covered under value-based rates. I'm curious as your thoughts, as do you really think that there are significant, speaking of the workforce question we were just discussing a second ago, are there really that many more people ready to fill the seats in terms of taking on that kind of risk for Medicare beneficiaries? Um, I think... We'll have to see what this final rule looks like, one, because some of the things they have to do is, I think, make it more attractive. So there's still elements of this uh, proposal that we're trying to get fixed. Um, yeah, I mean, the amount of shared savings is ridiculous that they've, they've taken it down to, but I, I understand why they did, they did that. So a lot of you in this room are probably sitting there going, what, is, what are they talking about? Are, do you guys know what we're even talking about here? There's probably Hopefully, familiarity with some, this, but some, you could, you could bring Sorry it down about a that. Bit. This is a Washington speak a little bit, but um, they did reduce the amount of shared savings. It's, it makes it a very unattractive model to stay in one-sided risk. So they're really just trying to say, move out of this as fast as possible. I think the evidence, though, speaks to the value in keeping organizations in the no-risk track for a little bit longer, but then also making moving out of it more attractive. So we'll see. I think a lot of our members will continue in this program. And we'll continue to go down this path because, um, and I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing huge movements in healthcare right now with organizations looking to reorganize themselves and think differently about the way they deliver care and move towards risk and get uh, on top of the data, just the things I was talking about. And, it, and they're looking at their business model differently than they have historically which was in their silos, and, uh, and really just churning uh, volume. Uh, and I think a lot of organizations, you see them right in this city, who are changing their business model, and I think that's what we're going to see a lot of organizations doing. But this will accelerate the pace of it and the seriousness of it. And I, and I want to maybe end with a question along those lines. You see thousands of different types of organizations. You're out there speaking to all of them. It's been clear that there were experimenters early on and there were large systems who have been building toward these models for Kaiser's going back half a century, right? So when you look more broadly and you say that you see your customers or you see the system moving toward this, is it occurring below the highest level, most integrated, most well-funded organizations? And is this, do you see, and do you see what the changes being made driving that next tier of 
hospitals and health systems to embrace risk and embrace. Yeah, no, it's really it's this is what's hard for people to fully comprehend. Comprehend is this the the breadth mm-hmm. of variation. I mean, the actually the areas that are the most integrated right now have the hardest time shifting to a different model because they they are actually lower cost. I can just give you, I mean, just in New York, uh, Rochester, New York, lower, one of the lowest cost places in the country, very integrated, a couple of very large health systems that, that have organized the care delivery process there. It's hard for them to move to one of these alternative payment models because they're very efficient right now. Mm-hmm. There's actually, the, so to your point, there are a lot of places around the country that are less organized. There's more to gain. <laughs> They've got a lot yeah. more to gain. And they're the ones who are actually looking to change their models, I'd say, more. Um, so it's, this is, and, and it, you know, we have to also remember, we're talking about a scope uh, uh, from academic medical centers to community hospitals and and this, the 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 continuum in between. I mean, it's there's just a huge variation. So it's really hard to to give an easy, simple answer. I would only say that I think most providers who are forward looking and are uh, looking at how do they move to risk themselves. And the problem is that the Rochester community right now is not served by moving to a fully at-risk model because there isn't a model out there that's good for them today. But there will be. I mean, we're working on them right now uh, at, at Premier in terms of bringing this forward, and we've already talked to Adam about it, and we're coming back with some specific ideas. But there'll be models that can work for them. It'll be a very different model than what currently exists with the MSS, the Medicare Shared Savings Program, which is basically you're sharing savings back to Medicare, so you're always getting a cut, a pretty Mm -hmm. significant cut in what you get. It's not a very advantageous model. So how do you move more towards a more capitated, fully at-risk model that is is, uh, sustainable? And that's what I think uh, we need to build. So... Well, that's, that's probably a perfect transition to our next couple of panels. Good. We'll be discussing these marketplaces with uh, several organizations that I think are forward-thinking. So Thanks. with that, I'm going to thank Blair for his time with us. And we have one more before the break. I'm going to ask our friends from Mount Sinai, Lauren and Dr. Fields, to come and join me on stage. So we will have a break after this, and we're going to have a, quite a few perspectives. When I put you on this side, oh, okay. Perspectives from plans and providers, but we thought we'd start with a uh, 